Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Welcome. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Good, good. Thanksgiving, man, what a wonderful holiday, right? You've got the trifecta of good things, okay? You've got the food, that's a must, right? Highlight of, of the weekend. Uh, you've got the family, you know, which most of the time that's a good thing, right? And you've got football, right? It's, it's the trifecta of Thanksgiving, it's so good. Um, I, I'm from Oklahoma originally, and my team played last night, not a good result, it's okay. And, um, but it, it, like it felt forever, like it took forever to get to that game uh, because we've had football on for like five straight days, right? My kids have hated it. They're like, where's Rudolph? And I'm like, no, football, right? You can watch Rudolph later when I'm not there, but it's football, right? But Thanksgiving, it's this awesome holiday, right? It's a time where we're content, like we've got all this food, we're stuffed, it's good, family's there, like we're content with all we have. And then like a couple hours later, we go to the mall and punch somebody in the face for a new TV, you know, like we forget about that thankfulness, that contentment. But seriously, this is like the happiest time of the year, right? Thanksgiving is good, but it's just the, it's just the start of the best season of the year, right? Like it's just the start because as we know, Christmas right around the corner, right? Like it, I love Christmas. I love it. And Christmas here is different than other places that I've lived, right? So I grew up in Oklahoma. We lived in California for a few years. And uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. It feels more like Christmas here than anywhere else we've ever lived, right? Like as soon as the temperatures start to drop a little bit, you get that like weird snow in November. It's just a foreign concept to me. And like, it, it just, like, it starts to feel like Christmas. It starts to smell like Christmas. We get rid of all the pumpkin stuff and more into the Christmas stuff. It's fantastic. It's the happiest time of the year. And yet, for many of us, this holiday season can be one of the hardest times of the year. It really can be one of the hardest times of the year because for a lot of us, it can be, as much as we spend time th being thankful for what we have, this holiday season can be hard, uh, a hard reminder for what we don't have or maybe even more specifically, who we don't have. I know for me, when I was in high school, my grandma passed away on the week of Thanksgiving. And that year was weird for Thanksgiving. But I also remember that the next few years were tough during the holidays, because it was constantly a reminder that grandma wasn't gonna be there. And all the traditions that we had, had created with her, they weren't there either. It's hard. And maybe that's where you find yourself in the midst of a circumstance that you never thought you'd be. Maybe it's a loss of a family member, whether through death. Maybe this is the first holiday season since your divorce went final. And that family dynamic is different this year. And maybe it's not necessarily like a negative reason why somebody's not there, but like maybe you raised such good and godly kids and sent them out and they're living their own life and they're just not home for this season. And maybe that's the first season, and it's, it's hard because it still feels like loss. Maybe the loss isn't a person. Maybe it's a job. That you're in a season, you're in a season where you feel uncertain of what's going to happen. Like, how is Christmas even going to happen this year? Where, is the, where are the funds going to come for that? Maybe you didn't lose a job. Maybe you're stuck in a job. But it's just a clock in, clock out job right? Like you're counting down the days so you can retire or till God gives you something else that you can do that would be fulfilling because it's just like, okay, you're, you're waking up later and later, right? And it's like, it's hard to be thankful. 
And then maybe for you, it's, it's not this season of catastrophe. Nothing major has happened. And yet you feel like every day it's just a struggle to trudge through the consistent struggles and obstacles that are in your way. I know for a lot of us up here in this part of the world, like just because it's so dark and cold for so long, man, that can hurt my thankfulness. This idea that it's hard to be thankful when it gets dark at four o'clock. Like why? Why is that a thing? You know? And so... We, everywhere we go this season, over the next month or so, you're going to see, like, man, it's, this is a joyful season and a thankful season, and you should rejoice. And it's like, that's hard because of the circumstances that you find yourself in. And so what do we do? See, Paul, he's this writer in the New Testament, and he writes to a church, and he uses really extreme language. He says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And you're looking at that and you're thinking, cool, but what about my circumstance? Like, it's easy for you, Paul. You're an apostle. Like, like you understand this whole Jesus thing. Like, you're a super Christian. Like, I, I get it. But like, man, I, this is hard. I don't think you understand my circumstance. I, I, I can't be thankful here. I can't be joyful now. But see, it wasn't just in this letter to the Thessalonians that he writes about this. In fact, this was a characteristic that, that described who Paul was. So he wrote another letter to the church in Philippi. And we're going to spend our time today in Philippians chapter 1 so that we can get kind of a, an elaborated view of his idea of how can we actually be thankful in all circumstances. If it was true in Thessalonians, is it true for us, and how do we do that? So we find Paul in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. So let's pause there for a second, because he says, everything that has happened to me here. Let's understand what's exactly happened. So Paul, when he's writing this letter to the Philippian church, is writing it from a jail cell. And we're thinking like, man, that's pretty terrible. But let's back up a few steps. Paul first got wrongfully imprisoned somewhere else. As a Roman citizen, you have certain rights, and they have to follow a certain protocol. They didn't follow those. So he was denied his rights. So then he kind of raised this fuss a little bit, and they were like, oh man, we messed up we got to send him to Rome, and, the, and Rome can handle him. So they put him on a ship. They send him to Rome, except that ship wrecks, and he's stranded on an island for days. They finally get another ship, and they get him to Rome where he gets to be put back into prison while he awaits, uh, he awaits getting to speak before and plead his case before the emperor of Rome. And all of that, all of that happens. And he says, man, those things really helped me. Listen, I've had bad days, okay? Break up in the wrong mood, right? You have a bad conversation. You get some bad news. I've had bad days. Never once have I had shipwrecked on an island bad day, right? And yet in my bad days, I've never once thought, it's probably good that I'm going through this. This is really helping me out. No, like that's not, it seems backward. Right? Like, it doesn't seem that. But Paul continues. He says, for everyone here in 
meaning in the, the jail, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. See, God, Paul gives us a clue on why he believes, why he believes that these things are good for him. Because those who arrested him did so to silence the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. But instead, it had the opposite effect. And it started to spread even faster, even further. And those that had been reluctant to share the message of Jesus now are sharing it freely because they see the boldness of Paul. See, without the chains, without the imprisonment, he doesn't get a chance to share the gospel with the palace guards. And he's thankful that he has that opportunity. I'm amazed at the perspective that Paul can have considering the circumstances. His chains are actually bringing him joy. He's thankful for the chains. And he's going to go on to, to talk about the people who are bad-mouthing him for sharing the gospel. He doesn't really even care what they're doing. He says, it doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. And a little later on, he continues this idea of joy in chains as he questions whether it would be like he's sitting in prison wondering, like, wouldn't it just be better if I just died? Like, then I, wouldn't it be better? Or would it be better if I say he's wrestling with this? I, I love this, this chunk of scripture in verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Like he understands that the worst day with Jesus is better than the best day here, right? And he's not experiencing his best day, right? He's in prison. So he understands Man, for, for him, selfishly, he's like, just kill me. Like, it would be better for me. Like, life's been rough. Just kill me. It's fine. I get to go be, be with Jesus. We're all good. But he knows that it's better for them, the church, the, the people around him that he's supporting, it's better for them if he stays. So he's willing to endure prison because it could benefit someone else because he believes that God will use it. And again, I'm amazed at his perspective. In fact, I think it's his perspective that reveals a key for us to find and keep joy and thankfulness regardless of the situation. Paul's saying, whatever happens, I will be thankful in the story God is writing. The story that God is writing. He knows that regardless of his circumstances, God is not done with his story. And he's going to live as if God is writing that story for his good. It's how Paul lived. It's, it's how I want to live, too. 
Paul's concern was not what would happen to him, but what testimony would he leave for his Lord? And I think so often we find that it's easy for us to lose our thankfulness, for us to lose our joy. We let little things rob us of it, right? Maybe it's conversations we have or a social media post or we have a setback. Maybe it's a financial setback. Maybe it's a setback at, at your job. Maybe it's a relational setback. We have those and they just throw us off and they rob us of our joy. And one scholar would tell us this, that the surest, one of the surest measures of spiritual maturity is what it takes to rob us of our joy and our thankfulness. See, Paul modeled for us what it looks like to endure the worst and remain focused and thankful and joyful. That he made it clear that difficult, unpleasant, painful, and even life-threatening circumstances would not rob him of his joy. Instead, we read in Philippians, it increased his thankfulness. And man, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. And I think he gives us some ways where we can help to choose thankfulness in any part of our story. And the first one is this, keep perspective. What Paul learned in this section is that his confinement was doing what his circumstances outside of prison could never do. And I learned from Paul that sometimes our short-term struggles can do vastly more than a lifetime of comfort. Sometimes our short-term struggles, the end of a relationship, the loss of a job or a family member, just a hard time. Sometimes those short-term struggles can do vastly more for our faith and the faith around us than a lifetime of comfort. Take Joseph, for example. Joseph is a character in the Old Testament. And Joseph was the favorite child. He was the favorite child. I know most parents are like, we don't have favorite ch children. It's a lie. But like, <laughs> Joseph, like everybody knew. Like he's the only one that got the jacket. It's a whole thing. You can read about it. And his brothers were upset. Right? And his brothers sold him into slavery. That's a bad day. Jo Joseph went from slavery to prison for being wrongfully accused of something. And God brought him from prison to second in command of all of Egypt, which is the strongest nation in the world at that time. The second in command of Egypt doesn't happen in his story without prison. And his short-term struggles did more for him than a lifestyle, a life of comfort. And he appeared before his brothers, like years later. He's second of all command. They don't even really understand who he is at this point. And he reveals himself to them. He confronts his brothers. And he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. See, the key is to keep a proper perspective. Paul wasn't sure, as he, as he wrote this letter, if he would make it out of prison or he would die in that cell. But he was certain that he wanted 
Christ to be exalted in his body either way. And it's true for us. I'm not sure if the relationship that you're in, whether it's a marriage or a dating relationship, if it ends or it prospers. I don't know in your job if you get that promotion or that big bonus or you lose that job. But I do know that either way you can choose for Christ to be exalted in your life and how you live. See, our perspective is always on the kingdom and on the king because the king is the true source of that thankfulness. And Dan's been talking about the first two parts of this series. Before we get into like what our response is, it's about who God is and what God has done. That's the source of our thankfulness and our joy, even in rough times. Keep perspective. Secondly, we stay the course. Paul writes this in verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a, worth, a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. He says, above all. Another translation would say, whatever happens, whatever happens, live like Christ. You are not always in control of what happens to you. Rarely are we in control of what happens around us. As I work with high schoolers all the time, I repeatedly tell them, just because there's drama around you doesn't mean there has to be drama with you. That we're not in control of what happens around us. We're not always in control on if we keep a job or lose it. We're not always in control of what a friend says about us or what a peer says about us. But we're always in control of how we respond. We're always in control of how we respond. So don't let what happens around you dictate your thankfulness. That God has not changed. His plan for you, his hope for you, his dreams for you have not wavered. Stay the course. Know that God is writing your story in his way not anybody else's way. And honestly, not even in our way. He's writing your story in his way. Stay the course. Third, stand together. He continues in verse 27. Then, meaning like you're living like Christ, right? Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. See, faith is a joint effort. Like that of an athletic team, it requires you standing together, standing firm together and thankfulness is rarely, if ever, found in the midst of isolation. Rarely will you find a person who is so isolated and so thankful. Instead, our thankfulness is fostered out of the community that we build. It's found in the midst of community. And together, we help each other keep perspective and stay the course. And sometimes the people in my life don't help me stay the course. They help me reroute the course. 
that they, they can remind me, Tyler, that's not, that's not what God has for you. That's not God's plan for you. And help me get back to the path of thankfulness and joy and the path that leads me closer to Jesus. Together. We do this together. That if you're finding yourself less and less thankful and less and less joyful, there's a chance that you're finding yourself around less and less joyful people. Choose to be around the people that are going to give you the right perspective, that are going to say the course. They're not wavering. They're going to speak that truth into your life. See, these three things help us choose to be thankful. Choose. Like, it's a, it's a choice in most situations. I believe it's a choice to be thankful. It doesn't always come naturally, but we can choose to be thankful in any part of the story. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to share a part of mine. See, I consider myself a pretty flexible person. Not physically, but flexible in my schedule. In fact, I, I don't believe that it's possible to work with students and do youth ministry for any length of time and not be flexible. Things are always, always changing. Uh, for instance, um, last fall, uh, we take our high school students to a camp uh, in Corvallis, Oregon, on, on the city, uh, campus of Oregon State. And, uh, you know, we took like 160 people there. And, uh, and it was great. Except like leading up to that trip, the whole last week, trying to figure out the details of that, they were changing every day. Leaders not being able to come last minute, trying to find new leaders, trying to figure out. Like I reorganized small groups three times in the last week before we went. Like flexibility is a requirement in student ministry. Or, for instance, um, we also do a retreat in February. So this coming February, we will do a retreat at Camp Luther Haven. And um, God sometimes has a sense of humor. Um, and he has decided that the best time for my wife to be due with our third child would be during that trip, which is you just stay flexible and you just go with it and you figure it out and you raise up leader and it's fine. It's fine. Like I'm going to convince myself that it's fine. <laughs> but I've also learned that no matter how flexible you are, everybody has a breaking point. And for me and my wife, that breaking point came in March of 2013. Some backstory. My wife and I both grew up in Oklahoma, went to college in Missouri, uh, and we decided, man, we want to go wherever God has for us. Wherever God will send for us, like, that's where we want to go. So in the fall of 2012, we packed everything we had, which was not very much, and we moved to California, just outside the Bay Area, uh, with this church plant there, and we loved it. Like, we loved living in California. It was great. And we had a great church, but we didn't really know anybody. We didn't have family there. We didn't, like, we left that. Like, we, we, we got there. And we, we enjoyed it. And a couple months into being there, we found out we were, we were pregnant, we were going to have our first kid, and we were so excited. Like nervous as you could possibly be nervous, right? Um, because like n neither of us knew what it was like to like keep something alive, you know? Like we were, we were nervous. Like all the parents were like, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I still don't know. And so, um, and so like we were so excited. We were so excited. But March of 2013, we found out that we would never get to meet that, that child. And it was devastating for us. This thing that we had hoped for and prayed for, we weren't going to ever get to meet. And like, I know, like, as a pastor, like, maybe I'm not supposed to say this, but like, 
we were questioning everything. We were struggling. And I remember that call to my mom. Where we get to, and to her mom. And we just say, hey, we're pregnant. And we're not. All in the same conversation. It was tough. And for months, I got to go do my job. And I got to help teach other people what it looks like to live like Jesus. All the while, I wasn't sure. I wasn't certain of it. And for months, for months, we walked through this season unsure. And it was hard to be thankful. And I remember that summer, we went to CIY Move in Southern California, which is our camp for high school students. But if you've ever gone to camp with high school students, you understand that God works on you too. And I'm convinced he invited 1,500 high school students at Biola just to speak to me and my wife. Because I was afraid that our story was ending in 2013. But five years removed from that, I'm more convinced that I think my story started in 2013. And my wife, who in many ways is better at putting things into words than I am, which is kind of funny considering what I do, but <laughs> she, she once penned these words about that season. When I stopped longing for a positive pregnancy test and started longing for God is when my life turned around, not when I gave birth to Nora. See, we have two kids with one on the way. Nora is not that daughter, not that child that we should have brought home. But God did bless us with a kid. But we thought like Nora was going to be like the answer to our prayers. That she would fill the gap of what we thought we lost. And what my wife so beautifully put was our thankfulness wasn't found in having a baby. It always was and always is found in the God of the universe that created everything and sustains everything. And in the story that he is writing, because my story isn't finished, and your story isn't finished either, that God is still writing even in dark times. Because we will have hard times. Jesus promised it in John 16. He promised that the hard times will come. But they don't have to steal our thankfulness. Whatever happens, choose to be thankful in the story that God is writing. Keep perspective. Stay the course. Stand together. Whatever happens. You have a bad night's sleep. You get that job promotion. You lose the job. You get that baby that you've prayed for, and that same baby pees on you, right? <laughs> You're finally in that relationship, or that relationship ends. Whatever happens, you can choose to be thankful in the story that God is writing. And for some of you, today is the day that you choose for the very first time to let God start writing your story instead of trying to write your own. Because I know from experience, God's a better writer. So whatever happens, whatever happens, let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you for this day.
I thank you that you are God and that I'm not. Lord, because I don't understand why bad things happen. I don't, like, I'm not smart enough to comprehend it. But I do know that you are good and that you promise to work this story for the good of your people. And Lord, we trust you with our eternity. So Lord, I pray that you would allow us to trust you with our current spot. And I pray for anybody in this room going through a hard time, that this season won't be a, another season of grief, but it can be a, a season of thanksgiving and a season full of joy because of who you are and what you have done. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. It's, it's only in him and through him that we can do this, that we can be brought to you because we don't just hope in hope alone. Nor, no, Lord, we hope in Jesus who has conquered death and brought us to you. So we thank you for him and it's in his name that we pray.